Welcome to Behind the DM Screen. It is October 20, is the October of 2021. There we go. Um, is my is my math right there, Mike? You're making faces at me. I, I thought you were saying the day, like it's the October <laughs> of the 12th. And no, no. And it's not that either. But it, no, it is October of 2021. Um, we are three DMs talking about our games, helping each other out. I am with, I am Jeff. I am with Mike. Hello. I'm with Sam. Hello. So that is all the intro you get. Sam. Yes. You can go ahead and start talking, but I'm going to go ahead and put time on the clock while you chat. Awesome. So, uh, so the last thing that happened in my Rhyme of the Frostmaiden game was that um, the group left Lonelywood to go up north to the Sea of Moving Ice, and they stumbled across some trolls that were killing and eating a herd of deer and they defeated those trolls. These were ice trolls and they uh, removed the heart of one of the trolls and one of the PCs ate it because they had heard some cool things about that. And as they were rescuing the herd, the big enormous sort of King elk came down and thanked them, uh, thanked with the elk tribesmen by giving him a bell. And so the group went back to the sled where the sled dogs were, and Velen Harpel consequently was there and was ecstatic that they had a bell because she knew that they were going to need that bell in order to get to the um, uh, to get to the spot where they could get to Oral's Island. Mm. Okay. And so she told them this excellent that you had it. She, they told the whole story to her about how they got it. And it was a really fun role-playing scene. And then, um, and then the group, um, they decided to go forward. They were still going towards the sea of moving ice and they found, uh, the, the tribe, the wolf tribe that was um, camping out. And it's the same tribe that they had run into previously, several sessions before, and they had made friends with the tribe. And the tribe was basically seceding from the rest of the wolf tribe. And the story they told, the reason they said they were doing that is because the the chief of the wolf tribe was convinced that he was a chosen of oral and he was um, becoming very aggressive and trying to sort of keep everybody under his thumb. And uh, anyone who died, he was starting to sort of um, support the idea of cannibalism. And so finally this group decided to sort of separate from them. And so they met this group and the, the temporary uh, chief of that group and their shaman, and they had a little boy the chief had a little boy who was like nine. They, they had other kids too, but the little boy was nine and he was uh, strangely able to withstand the cold. And so the party got to talking to him and found out that he also occasionally sees a very large tiger following the group around. And usually he tells, he tells the shaman because they've, they figured out that that seeing that tiger when the kid sees the tiger, that means there's going to be a uh, there's going to be a uh, an attack, basically, because they they're being hunted by the wolf tribe, 
and the tiger tribe, which is the mortal enemy of the wolf tribe. And so, uh, of course, the party puts two and two together and realizes that tiger, that's not just a figment of the kid's imagination. That's actually a saber-toothed tiger that the kid is seeing. And and who knows how the kid is seeing it? Nobody else is seeing it. But the kid is seeing it, and that is Bjornhild's tiger, her pet tiger, how she she's keeping an eye on this wolf tribe. And then they realize, oh, well, the kid – is resistant to cold because he was born on midwinter. He himself might be a chosen of oral in some respect. So now they're thinking, crap, we have to protect this kid. So they help the, the wolf tribe get away from the area that they were at. This was the previous meeting. Okay. They, they helped the wolf tribe get away and they tried to distract anybody that was following them and, and all of that. So they helped the wolf tribe once before and they made friends with them. Well, now they're coming upon a tribal setup, a camp setup. And it looks like the same wolf tribe, except there are bloodstains everywhere. There's a bunch of tents that are set up, and the tents themselves have blood all over them. There's blood all in the snow. There's no animals to be found. All of the sleds have been broken up. There's a lot of carnage around. There's a lot of fires that have been put out. And so they go looking around, and they find that the only person alive in this camp is the little boy. And as they are trying to figure out from this little boy what happened and and figure out everything that went on, they, of course, get attacked by the actual tiger tribe. So they have this big battle, and they uh, the 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 chief of the tiger tribe, Bjornhild, uh, Solvig's daughter, she she's actually so one of my PCs has the secret that he is actually a child of. Bjornhild, who she thinks she's a chosen, so she put this child on basically a piece of ice and pushed it out into the sea of moving ice, hoping that it would get killed, and so she wouldn't have to worry about it, because she wants to be the only person of her bloodline who is the chosen, right? So any child that she has either threatens that, or she's unsure of its paternity, or there's there's all these weird story things. Well, this particular PC is a is a tiefling and he's a Levistus tiefling. And so what I did was I had him realize through every, all these discussions and things happening throughout the game that um, the rumors are that Bjornhild, the way that she keeps uh, getting pregnant and the reason why she keeps sending off the children onto icebergs is that actually Levistus is the father. Hmm. And so, uh, (laughs) and so, they so that sort of gets revealed in the middle of of this whole thing, and of course he's like, "Oh my God, Sam, I hate you. You're a bastard." Um, and that's okay because it was a lot of fun. <laughs> and weren't, um, weren't you like super against having Asmodeus in your campaign? I was, and Levistus is like, really well. Levistus is totally different, right, but Levistus isn't in my campaign. But this PC he's, he's wanted a Levistus tiefling. He wanted a Levistus tiefling as his PC, so. and Levistus is more thematically appropriate anyway. What with the ice and all that, mm-hmm. yeah. And I mean, he does have things that he does in the campaign. It's just that my party didn't happen to interact or intersect with any of those. If they had, I would have let that be it in terms of Levistus being in it. But since they didn't do any of those things, and now all of a sudden this was just too good of an opportunity. Okay, it was too good of at an opportunity. At least it's got this nice specific tie to yeah, one of the exactly. characters, right? So yeah, you're not just throwing Asmodeus in there for no reason. It's like, well, yeah, this is yeah. there because the character is right. a 
is tied right. to Levistus. So. And if the ca- if the character I'm just giving been, you crap because it's like he, you, you're no, so no. against Asmodeus and here's no, Levistus. I know, and I'm against Levistus too. But <laughs> I let my players make whatever PC they want. Sure. So if he yep. ha- if he hadn't been a Levistus tiefling, that would have never been uttered as a thing, right? It just right. would have not right. been part of it. Right? So, but it was really funny because he was like, "Oh my god." That means I might be the son of Levistus. Oh, Jesus. You know, this is horrible. <laughs> it's horrible. Because yep. he had convinced himself that even though he was the child of Bjornhild, he was better than that, right? Right, right, right <laughs> Except right. now, not only is he the child of Bjornhild, he's he also be, the child be of better than Levistus. Yeah, well, of course. So anyway, so then Hard. they they go, and so then they have to figure out, okay, what are we going to do with this kid? So at the beginning of the next session, they figure out, okay, we got to send this kid back to – so. They start talking about where they're going, and they realize if they go to Oral's house and they take the kid, it might seem like they are bringing a gift for Oral, bringing one of her chosen children. And they don't want anything bad to happen to the kid, so they are – they decided not to do that. So they sent Velen mm-hmm. – Back to Lonelywood with the kid and to- gave her instructions how to find the um, speaker of Velen, Lonelywood. Velen is super trustworthy. Well, so far she hasn't done anything against she's, them, right? She's the first one handing a small yeah. child that could be the son of Levistus over to right. the Arcane Brotherhood. How could yes. that go wrong? Well, <laughs> I mean, so they don't. They they yeah. They're they're kind of they they have um. So yeah, that's going to come back to bite them. But anyway, so they <laughs> send they send her with the kid to go back to Speaker Huddle's house because they had a really good relationship with Speaker Huddle and her nine children, and so they want the kid to stay there. And they're like, yeah, okay, well, we're going to start heading to the Sea of Moon moving ice f- catch up to us right there's only one of you who can catch up to us so they spend the night they have really really horrible dreams i give them all premonition dreams and then i have them roll con checks and if they fail the con check they if they already had a level of exhaustion they now have another one oh. um and if they didn't have a level of exhaustion they get one all of them except i think i think half of them failed Oh. Okay, but then then they they moved and then they were going to get another uh, another chance to sleep and everything. So they get over to the coast and they find the uh, they find the place where they know they're supposed to hang the bell to get Angajuk to come and take them. They don't know what's going to come and take them, but they right. know that that's where they have to hang the bell and ring it and all that. And so they they do all that. Angajuk comes and gets them, puts them on the boat. They're fascinated by the giant bubble that forms. And then Angajuk takes them on a, like a three-day tour and tells yep. them. And and all I did was mention a few things that are mentioned in the book. Like you go see basically the undersea Atlantis and you get a whole tour of it. And I tell them Angajuk's doing it like, like a star tours, right? Like, and this is where, <laughs> you know, the king of Atlantis lived. And this is the house of whatever, right? And then they see like an old sunken giant castle and everything. And all these things, all, every single one of my players was like, ooh, we want to go look at that. Ooh, we want to go look at that. Ooh, yeah, sure. Course, none of that's in the book, right? So, right. And I was like, nope, you're still going. He knows where he's going. So <laughs> Saltmarsh he, he, might have some stuff for that. Yeah. So that so they they get to the island of Solstice and they get onto the island and they're trying to go towards the center of the island. They completely well, so also I forgot to say they were debating about whether to wait for Velen before they rang the bell because they wanted to wait for her because she's the one who said we gotta go there and steal the Codicil of White. But they decided anyway to leave without her. 
they quit they quit waiting for her they waited like a half a day and then they decide they waited long as long enough for her to catch up and then another half day beyond that and they decided okay we're not going to go back to lonely wood we're going to just go forward so they decide not to go with her they get to solstice and they start seeing different things on the island that are very similar to what their bad dreams were mm-hmm. and the they travel for several hours and they finally get to where they're uh looking at Castle Grimskull, right? The actual like it's basically Castle Grayskull, but it's made right. out of ice and it's like looks like right. an old it's uh giant giant, giant skull. Yeah. And yeah. so I showed them the image from the book, which is absolutely awesome. It's a really yeah. great piece of art where there's all these steps leading up to it. And so and that's where we ended that session. And the players now are completely okay. So two of them, one of them has two two levels of exhaustion three of them have one level of exhaustion and one of them has no levels of exhaustion and so they're really really bad off they are really bad off because of course on the island you really don't ever get any rest i mean even if they camp they're not really going to get rest so basically their choice is in the bad condition that they're in they have to go into oral's house and rob her of the codicil of white and if they wait until dark, I hope none of them are listening to this. If they wait until dark, they can do it. Because if they wait till dark, she'll be out casting her spell. Right? If they wait till midnight. If they don't wait till midnight and they just walk up to the door and go in, she's going to be in there and they're going to have to fight her. And two of them have two levels of exhaustion and three of them have one level. So, Or ha- one of them has two levels and three of them have two one level and one of them has none. So there's only one of them that's even halfway decent in terms of being able to do anything. Mm-hmm. And they're level six. <laughs> so they oh, are going to end up fighting her and it's going to go bad for them. It's going to go real bad. They're going to have to make a decision. If they don't, if they wait, they can just sneak in and they'll be able to steal the codicil and it'll be no problem. Like they might talk to, they might have a problem with the giant that's in there. Right. And then, but then they can get in and they can, they can actually talk to that guy. Cause one of my PCs actually is a, like a genasi with a giant, um history so like has giant blood in her so she could actually talk to that guy and they wouldn't have to fight him and they could sneak in and get and i would let them do it right they don't have to fight her but if they don't wait they're gonna have to fight her what are your plans for the tests they're not doing them i hate them. i mean right so how are they are you doing any are you replacing with anything or they can walk right up to the door and grab the codicil they have to get past that giant and so that's going to be the one that's the one that's laying in that first door yeah, old, he's old like dude. right there, and he's he had he's like a he but has. If you get past him, place. if you get past if, him, you get to yeah. the. Yeah. Gotcha. If they okay. get past him, they can go in. I'm gonna I'm gonna give them lots of little vignettes, like they're gonna see all the different kind of stuff that like that that um Oral has in there. They're gonna see some like uh cultists and uh, different things, but they won't have to fight anything. And there's no because they already did two of those tests, but as part of the previous. Yeah. Right. Like, right. So because I didn't those tests are dumb. And because the thing is, if they fail those tests, a stupid druid comes and opens the door for them anyway. So that's stupid. It's not even worth it. So I played the test. We we talked all about that on our our list of grievances. Yeah, yeah. If you can't fail forward, then why are you even doing it? Right. So, yeah. So so they're so I'll just let them go in because they're going to have a hard enough time getting off the island. Right. So they can steal the codex. No problem. 
right? The codicil of white. But getting out and and going back and finding um, Angajuk and getting him to come where they are. And and they also are supposed to find Nas Lantamir to get the Professor Orb, which they don't even know anything about. They don't know how to find that. So yeah, for that them, their problem is going to be the actual island and not just Oral's abode, unless they go in there when she's in there. What, if they wait what, for her to fly away, they'll be fine. Remind me what level the adventure has them going to the island. Is it six level? Seven. Seven, seven to seven? seven to eight, yeah. yeah. Okay, because yeah, I don't know. It seems low level to be walking into the abode of a god, especially when you're well. Like, and that's hampered, one of, that was with one exhaustion, of, right. right? That was one of Mike's issues with it. Right? Is that why should it be possible to fight a goddess at level seven? Right? Like that's stupid to have it that way. And that was one of his, right. For me though, it's like, that's really just her manifestation on this plane. It's not really, it's not like they could kill her. Even if, yeah, sure. But even if it's just a manifestation, it's dumb that you should be able to kill her. Right. (laughs) So Fizban's treasury of dragons is coming out in like three weeks and it has an aspect of Tiamat in it. I'm betting Mm -hmm. it's not level seven. No. And the thing is like, it's like CR 28. (laughs) Right. But right. But see, also the thing is though, like she's not a pushover. Right. And I don't think that, I think that it's, it's not true to say that level seven characters could walk all over here. I think the problem is that she has three forms and she's hard to run that way. So she's like three CR 11 creatures all at the same time. And if you play it so that she actually gets her lair actions and you've played it tough on them while they're on the island, like I have, I mean, I about lair look, actions, yeah. nobody wants to go, nobody wants to go into that thing with two levels of exhaustion, no matter what level they are. Right. No. So I can't even imagine know, what kind yeah. of DM would put that on them. Like I will. Oh. <laughs> Well, I look forward to um, a couple chapters here because then you'll be getting to Yithrin, which is the only part of the, yeah. that adventure that I've well, run. Yep. So. And, that's, and that's part of why I want to – I'm just going to let them – basically, they can walk in and get the codex with no problem, right? They really can if they time it right and if they play it right. And knowing my players, if they stop and think for a second, they will. But they might just get – they might just desire to run in and run out and then they'll have a problem. Right. But if they actually plan it, they'll be able to do it. No problem because I want to get them to Yithrin and to, right. I want to get them to the, to the K ca- to the caverns. Right. And because that's connected to the underdark and that brings my Torog storyline back. Right, right, right. Right? And so I want to get, I don't care if they fight oral right now. I think they're scared enough of her that if she shows up, they'll leave. I'm curious, and tell me if I should save this for my um, my time. But although your time's already over, so what does it matter? Um, That's how we roll, Jeff. Right. I'm curious how you deal with uh, random encounters in the adventure. I, like, clearly, the environment matters, but do they? Mm-hmm. Do you play with random encounters? Are they running into those things to to slow them down at all, or, or wear down their resources? Yeah, so actually that the elk herd thing mm-hmm. sprang from a random encounter, or the, okay. the troll thing sprang from a random encounter. That was a random encounter. I, I decided that as they were traveling out to try to get to the Sea of Moving Ice, that they would run into a couple of random encounters, mm-hmm. right? And I, and I rolled, and it came up like ice trolls. So I went and looked at what the ice trolls are doing, and I thought, oh, that's good. I wanted those in the adventure anyway, because I think sure. they're really cool, right? Um, and so, the Ice so, trolls are badass. Right. They're really cool. And so I wanted them to have this really sort of interesting fight with a lot of downed trees, but I also wanted there to be a, a reason to fight them. So just, just putting the trolls there, the party probably just would have been like, nope, 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 and left, right? Because right? they don't care. If they're not doing anything disturbing or, or whatever, the, they could just leave. So what I did was I put them 
right, attacking a herd of elk, which of mm-hmm. course is going to get my elk tribesman, who has been actually one of his main focuses in the game was to be looking for elk and, and herds because all of their food was gone. That was why he actually joined the party was because he was sent out from his clan who's all starving to death right. because their food sources run away to, to find out where the food source went or why. And so this is part of that. And so he helped rescue that. Mm-hmm. So that became that random encounter became something I could directly connect to the party. So they probably didn't feel like it was a random encounter because I added right. enough to it. To not be no, I, I, I'm finding more and more. Uh, I've always it's not, been, well, it's not random once you drop it in. Well, right, and, and I've right. I, yeah. I've long been kind of blah on random encounters anyway, mm-hmm. um, and more, and, and that feeling has only intensified, I guess, with time. Wow, right? Huh. Um, like on the opposite. See, like so, I'm you know, like I played through um, out of out of the abyss. Yeah, out of the abyss. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, yeah. and, and it's like, well, you got to do something because it's the underdark and it needs to feel dangerous, right? right. Uh, you know, same thing with Curse of Strahd. Like, you got to do something because mm-hmm. if you can just wander around Barovia without any right. any trouble, then then mm-hmm. what's the point? You know, uh, of you know, it's, then it's not scary anymore. Um, but at the same time, like, I find most of the time it's just a, it's just a drag. It, it slows the story down unnecessarily. Those those encounters that I can easily figure out how to make it part of the story like that's what i found a lot of the um there's been a lot of the more recent adventures a lot of the random encounters aren't even like combat encounters it's just here's a weird Mm -hmm. thing that you run into right you know my favorite random encounter in barovia was um you're walking down the road and a random trinket from the (laughs) trinket table is just there in the middle of the road yeah right right Right. and and it was it was a pipe and the pipe like blows it's still smoking smokes right. who dropped well, this pipe? right and it blo- and yeah. it blows smoke in the shape right. of like skulls or something right and one of the characters <laughs> had established that he smoked a pipe and he had given it up in the margrave to as a sacrifice of a personal item or whatever right. uh, on the way to barovia so so that that was interesting but like um yeah. but like when i ran uh descent into avernus with my kids like mm-hmm. they're in they're in an infernal war machine and it's like well there's a random encounter but they're like yeah but we're on our way to something. We just go around it and we're faster than everything. You know? so, right. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think, I think so I was just going to say, so the way that I deal with that is because I love random encounters from way back. Right. Okay. Like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm old school in that way. But the thing is that you're right about if a random encounter just sort of falls in your lap and it's just a random like, oh, let's fight six goblins. Well, that's boring as hell and it doesn't matter. Right. right. So that's not a random encounter. It's a nuisance. Well, right. and, that, and so that's, that's what I—that's—that's that's that's what made me think of it because you're talking about rhyme, right. and I'm playing uh, Yithrin right now, and there's a bunch yeah. of random encounters of you run into right. Nothics, and so, it kind of fills right. in some flavor, but it's not a challenge yeah. at that level because so, Nothics so are like third level. Right. So here's what I would do if I was actually planning it, like when I when my when my. Uh, people are going to go into Yithrin. I'm going to have a set of random encounters that I, I'm going to make my own table, right? Mm-hmm. And part of it will be sort of take, taken from those ideas, right, that are in the book. Right. And the thing is, though, I'm going to specialize those, right? I'm going to modify them so that they provide some of, some some information or something of interest or something that connects to one of the PC's backgrounds or might, quote, might connect, right? Like you never know. Right. And so that's sort of what I do. And then they don't I don't structure them so that they have to meet everyone. It really is a random encounter. Some of them they're never going to meet and some of them they will. Right. I really will roll on it. And then 
the other thing is if if they're in a situation where they can just simply go around it, either number one, you got to be okay with that, or number two, the thing has to be an obstacle enough that they can't just go around it, and that's that's or, for you or enticing to enough. Yeah, tailor doesn't that. Have, doesn't have to right. just be an obstacle. It could right. be something they want. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, exactly. And so you tailor that to like everything I've done in rhyme. And part of the reason why I think it's gone so well is I tailor every single oh, thing yeah. they to yeah. the PCs. Like yeah. fifth edition really, really asks for that. Yeah. Sure. Like yeah. no, I just, really I just, I just, I get frustrated enough with it because there's so many encounters that are are bland, and I don't <laughs> have the mental fortitude to prep a session and also on the fly really make that encounter what I want it to be like well that's why I say not on the fly right you got to prep that thing in the beginning well and that's what I did with Curse of Strahd is I took all their random encounters and I made up some of my own incorporating some things from um, Mm -hmm. Kobold Press's things so I can have weird undead creatures or horrific creatures Mm -hmm. that they aren't expecting Mm -hmm. Um, you know and I did some of that and that worked pretty well but like and honestly, like I'm running Yithrin, and I'm not—I haven't even looked at the random encounter table. It's just not something I'm interested yeah, in doing I with them at that point. Uh, I mean, I, I have looked at it, but that's why I say it's like a bunch of Nothics, which tells the story of Yithrin a little bit. But uh, but yeah, it's not I, a I meaningful challenge. My my players are 15th level at this point, and I'm not really increasing the difficulty. <laughs> right, of but the thing is, like it. But to make it a meaningful problem. challenge, it's not that they have to fight him. It's that right. that Nothic, those Nothics could have information they need right. to complete sure. their tasks. And they might have to find that out. They're, you know, the Nothics aren't going to be holding a sign, right. right? So you either choose to work that in or not, but you got to think about it beforehand. That's the it thing cannot, about I mean, you know. Yeah, and, and so, you know, I have lots of thoughts about random encounters. So, but one of them is like, if there's two Nothics wandering around, it doesn't matter that they're significantly less than the characters. So the characters hit hit them and they're dead, right? But right. it's still flavor of the area, right? Sure. It still shows like there used to be Netherese wizards hanging around in Yethrin and they've all turned into Nothics now. Right. So, you know, that's even, even if they either avoid them, even if it's just background scenery, right? They're well, wandering along and they see two Nothics. Right. It, and, it doesn't and, have I've, to be and I've introduced the Nothics, like, there's the one encounter with them in the museum, and, and there's enough of them in the background. They've run into them or seen them or are aware of them enough, and they know what Nothics are because they, they run into them. You know, they're also in, what, Tomb of Annihilation and several other adventures they've played. They keep popping up, right? It's like hags. Wizards really likes hags and Nothics these days because um, they're in everything. Yeah, there's a lot of hags. Um, and, 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 yeah, so, so like they're aware of it. And I don't need the right, random that's encounters. That's what makes Cold Light Walkers so great, right? Because right. those are so thematic They're totally to unique. I'm yeah. the Frost Maiden, right? And so every chance I get, I just have them see some of those damn things. They had one fight with them, and it scared them and damaged them so bad, they avoid them at all costs. Yeah, and right. I also that's started great. having, anytime they show up, the Cold Light Walker will like look up to the sky and highlight where Oral is flying over and like the light shines on the belly of the white rock and it like creates this the scene of like almost a beacon, right, right? right? And the players are all like, oh crap, get the hell away from here, this is horrible, you know? Right, right. And so they don't even have to fight him, it's just thematically showing how... Yeah, there's really dangerous, weird stuff out there, and that's okay for it to be something that they kind of go around in that way. Sure. But if you have information you need that party to have, random encounters are a great way to provide it. It just has to be actually thought about, not just, oh, I rolled on right. a table and I rolled you know, five orcs, and oh, there's a note in one of their pockets, and it says this. Like, that's not connected. That's dumb. I would, right. I would, part I would part of me wants to – what, what I really <laughs> want to do – 
I think that's a perfectly is, fine random account as far as I'm concerned. Right. Um, <laughs> work with a note in a pocket. Going off the cuff is my point. But if right. you had right. this random encounter table and you knew there were five orcs on it, you could do something more than yes. there's a note in their well, I pocket. Think, right? I think you did. I think you did one idea that I that I you I, I run and I use a lot, which I really love, which is rolling twice and having them mash together. Right. So have your ice trolls that are fighting your herd of elk. Right. Um, I had, I introduced avarice that way, right? Sure. But my characters were going through, they went to an interesting, they, I, I, the way I treat random encounters is they, it, they, they run into some interesting monument between the two locations that they're headed to. Right. And there's usually some kind of encounter at that monument. And most of the time they can see it ahead of time and decide if they want to engage with it or not. Mm-hmm. And in this case, they saw avarice fighting off a bunch of crag cats, right? And crag cats have weird spell things that they do. And sh- they were watching the crag cats reflect spells that she was throwing at them. And then they got involved and, you know, it was really interesting and it was a great way to introduce the character. Mm-hmm. It was just, it had an interesting place. There were lots of secrets ex- exposed, lots of things that they discovered, you know, so it was a mix of all three pillars, right? It was a role play encounter. It was an exploration encounter and it was a combat encounter in one scene. Mm-hmm. So, and it was completely, mm-hmm. you know, I think I knew Avarice was going to be there, but I didn't know what she was going to be fighting. And lo and behold, it turned into crag cats and that actually worked really well. Right. I'm just finding a lot of times, the random encounter, the random nature of random encounters, the the stopping what you're doing, stopping the role play, so I can roll some dice to see if something happens, whatever. Um, it it breaks the narrative, and, and honestly, most of the time it's unnecessary. And those times where it does add something, I I kind of find I would rather plan those encounters. Maybe I'll look at the mm-hmm. random encounter table and be like, these are the cool ones. I'm going to have some of these happen at random times. I just need to keep them in my back pocket and have them ready to go. And that's a system that, that works yeah, I, better I, for me. I roll before – I roll during prep, right? I don't, I don't roll okay. during the game. I yeah. Think. yeah. Sometimes I'll do one. Sometimes I'll do the other. But most of the time I roll during prep and I'm using right. it to spark my imagination. Well, and there's some and great resources. Go, oh, oh, that's a really cool you idea because I'm, I'm not going to go through 20 different monsters to figure right. it out. I'll just well, roll that's, that's, three times until one works. Yeah, that's, that's the issue is that it's, it breaks in the narrative. I need to do it ahead of time. But I also like – it's one of those situations like like having the players roll for an, a monster's recharge where when I'm doing it at the yeah. table, I'll have them roll the d20 and I don't tell them what sure. it's for. you know, And then they get to determine whether there's, a, there's an encounter or not. Um, but I also found um, – the the DMs Guild adepts have been putting out products uh, like there's a Encounters of Waterdeep, Encounters of of Avernus or whatever it is, right? Yeah, some uh, are better than others. Yeah, the Waterdeep some are better than others, but those, yeah. they tend to have more interesting random encounters than what's in the books. Yep. Um, uh, was it Ar- Arcadia? Arcadia. Uh, one of their magazines recently had a, a, a selection of what is it, four or five random encounters that that become little story seeds or interesting things that you could, you know, there, there are, mm-hmm. there are resources out there to make random encounters better. But I, but I, I, I was just going to, I was gonna, thinking earlier, like I need to just stop determining the random encounters at the table. I'm just going to make a big giant table that, of them ahead of time. And then right. I can yeah, plan I, them. I think the ones that are in, um, uh, frost maiden are not bad. Like they've got okay. good descriptions of what kinds of things yes. are going on there. They're not yeah. all combat. Yeah. yeah the, I, the giant mam, the, the, the frost, the frost giant riding a mammoth well, was one of Remember them. I'm not the actually boss. running frost maiden. I'm just in Yithrin. Yeah. Well, <laughs> some are better than others and the frost yes. maiden ones yeah. are pretty good. Okay. So, you know, the thing is like, so the thing about fifth edition is, and the way, especially that, that 
the game, the adventures are written is mostly they're written assuming that everybody's using milestones by now. Like I know in the early days of 5e, they kind of had XP and Mm -hmm. people still do run XP me, but uh, I know most people probably run milestone because that's kind of the way fifth edition is written. And when you run milestone leveling, like random encounters and wandering monsters, that's an unnecessary mechanic right right? like in the olden days right in 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 when i was playing basic D &D or first edition you need random encounters in there sometimes either because you need to be able to capture somebody's gold so you can get some xp or you actually need to find information and infiltrate something and having random counters gives you the ability to put those things in there you're right those editions were crap i agree <laughs> I didn't say that. Fifth edition isn't written like that, right? right? Fifth edition is written so that if you're going to do random encounters, it's better to just plan them out and put some interesting ideas right. and you don't necessarily roll at the table because you're not putting that encounter in there because they need the XP. You're putting that encounter in there to make it a more interesting game and to right. give them some extra information or right. to drain some of their resources if that's what you want to do. Right. Not because they need XP. <laughs> and since you're only draining resources you can make any kind of encounter you want right i was yeah. pleasantly surprised i've actually i started the timer a while ago to because my time is next anyway so we're <laughs> just we just flowed right into it we're going to call it my time now um uh because of the nature of of how i'm r- running yithrin like i'm not running rhyme so a lot of the storylines don't matter as much anyway um but I found it interesting because I haven't been using any of the random encounters. I've had little vignettes. Like, they're aware that there's nothings running around and there's always movement in the corner of your eye or in the shadows. And, you know, so they're, and they've run into enough nothings to, to get what's going on. Um, and, and I'm not, you know, the whole Arcane Brotherhood and Oral showing up in the city, that's just not part of the storyline. Um, so that doesn't happen. And as a result, it turns out that you can run around the city of Yithrin with actually very few combat encounters. Like, uh, we, we went, I think, two sessions in a row with one encounter per session. Um, and one of those was, like, a handful of Nothics, and they're, you know, what I say, 14th, 15th level characters, so they rolled right over them. Uh, and I was actually pleased that they, they threw some decently high-level spells at it, so at least I got to expend some resources. Um but, like, at the same time, like, we got through the one session, like, two weeks ago it was, where the only encounter was a, a handful of Nothics at the end, right? And yet they got to the end of it. It's like, you know, that was – there was no – even my, my min-maxer who really likes the strategic part of D&D is like, I was worried, he, you know, he didn't get to do his thing, right? And he's like, yeah, but, like, it was a really fun session and we did a lot of weird things and there were puzzles to, to solve and – there were, you know, uh, riddles to figure out or what, you know, there was thinking and there was lore and there, you know, that's where they went into the museum and you run into the body of the, the Ferrim, which is some um, relatively deep Forgotten Realms lore. Uh, and, and so I got to flex my, my Forgotten Realms knowledge a little bit. And, and they you know, helped. there's a there's a Ferrim stat block now. I'm sure there in, is, yeah. In the Min- the Minsk and Boo guide that just came out on oh, is the there, DMs Guild includes a, includes a Ferrim. Yeah. Okay. I'm probably, I'm probably dropping that in. Yeah, so so yeah, there there was they had a they had a great time with it, right? They've gone through at this point. Um, <laughs> it's amazing how when they first got into Yithrin, I had it in my head. Well, they'll probably work their way through the city in about two sessions, two five-hour, six-hour sessions, right? That's that's good enough to get through the, the entire city and explore all the towers and whatever. Nah, it was it was it was 
four or five sessions, I think, of exploring the city. They wanted to go to every location. They wanted to, to look into every little nook. The only thing they weren't interested in is, is um, playing the game of Chain Lightning, the, the sports arena uh, at the one spot. Yeah, like, right. They identified that early, figured out in the library what it was. Says, oh, okay, I get it. No, we're not going there. That's no reason, right? But like yeah. even, even like the... The, the orchestra, um, they went in and did that because the bard was like, this is really exciting. And she had the right roles. And so she I could identify the song and, and conducted the, the ghost orchestra. And, and um, there was just all kinds of like um, fun. And like, there's the when you go into the Tower of Illusion, it's surrounded in this mist, this fog. And when you go in, you you get make a save against an eighth level phantasmal killer spell. Um which was super fun because I had each – because, you know, Phantasmal Killer, you, you see something that's horrible and frightening and it causes all the psychic damage to you, which in their, in this case, because it's 8th level, it's, it, it was a, like 50-some points of psychic damage. It was not nothing, right? But I had them be like, okay, you walk in. What horrible thing do you see? And they would tell me some horrible thing they see. And then for every single one of them, I found some way to say, yes, it's that. And then one up it and make it even worse. Like, yeah, you do see all of your friends and family around you dead and the bad guys have won. And and it turns out you look down and you see that your hands are covered in blood and you're the one who killed them. You know, so every single time one of them would, you know, they'd say, this is my biggest fear. This is the thing that 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 is affecting me. And then I would find some way to to push it even further and one up it. And they're like, oh, Jeff, you did it. You know, Uh, so so that was super fun. Right. they, and yeah, so they went through all the towers. They've completed all of the the tasks. You know, there's all the, like you find the one um, wizard that's got like this crown that sucked all of her memories out, and they they knew exactly where to take it to destroy it, and they did. Um, and, and and yeah, every single part of of Yithrin has been super fun, even if a little bit combat light for you know as big and scary as it's supposed to be. Um, I was rather pleased. They, they finally figured out um, two sessions ago, they, they got all the pieces of the riddle. I even really enjoyed, because in the, in the Tower of Illusion, um, there's a very sort of Gygaxian thing, right? In every other tower, there's uh, part of the, the riddle they need to solve, sort of, or the ritual or whatever, inscribed in the wall in Draconic. And we only have one player whose character speaks draconic so this one character has to do all the translating for everybody um and and one up and just like all the others like there it is um in draconic there's there's the the piece that you need for the ritual and then they start like okay well we search the room we do what we do let's go ahead and head out and then that one player who speaks draconic is like wait a minute this is the tower of illusion (laughs) <laughs> right and and it's very Gygaxian because that's the actual trick is that the the inscription isn't really what it says it's it's an illusion of the inscription on top of it which feels exactly like a, a Gygax old school module like there is one specific thing you need to do and you've just got to be super clever and figure it out um, or else you, you just miss it and then you're then you're hosed right and yet like I was a little worried that you wouldn't figure it out, and then he did, and that was super rewarding. <laughs> like that was, you know, because because he he figured out the, the the trick without any clues, without any way, you know, hints that that there was something going on there, other than we are in the Tower of Illusion. Maybe we should take another look at this thing or cast a spell magic on it just in case. Uh, and it turned out they were, you know, the, and and you know, th- there is a clue because when you walk out with the wrong uh, inscription. 
um, the the voice of the the high illusionist like laughs at you. Um, that's the only clue you get though, uh, as written. But they didn't even need that. They figured out before they walked out, uh, and it, I was rather impressed that they had pulled that off. And so then they they last session they got into the the spire. At first they were hoping, oh well, we'll go through the ritual and the force field goes down and we can all just sort of wander around. Uh, inside the force field or inside the spire or whatever and then they figured out that no we all have to do it and it has that fun role-playing moment of um in order part of the ritual is you have to reveal a secret about yourself aloud for everybody to hear and then the next step is and now you need to coax a secret from somebody else and so we got two like character secrets from every single character uh through the and, and some of them were like big secrets that they'd been keeping through the entire campaign. Like one of the characters has a set, a different name that only one other character knows about. And she has been keeping a secret the entire, the entire campaign and then revealed it, you know, uh, to, in order to get it into this force field. Um, and then others were like, oh, well, I kind of had a crush on this redheaded girl when I was eight. That was, you know, <laughs> I never told anybody about that, you know. So, uh, but, you know, when you're going to reveal that many secrets, plus it was, the, it was like the session after we did the Phantasmal Killer thing. Like there was all kinds of like inner psychological things going on. Uh, I hate to give Mike credit, but I, I, uh, I think a couple, I think it was last time we, we chatted, I was telling you it's been like a month, month and a half since we played. How do I sort of get him hooked back into it? And you suggested start with something big happening, right? Uh, and so I had the entire city sort of shift off of off of its kilter because the dragon, that the two-headed dragon that they're, they're hunting, that, that is the thing I added um, that wasn't in, in Yithrin originally, um, came flying out from under it. It had been digging around under the city, and, and as it flew out, it caused the whole city to shift. Uh, and that kind of freaked him out just enough to get him, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that's what we're doing, right? Um, and, and, yeah, and then, then they get, I also had a lot of fun. So they go into the, you go into the spire, and I don't remember if you, how much you remember from either running it or reading it, but you go into the spire and there's a ballroom. And, and it's suddenly there's all these people and they're dancing and they're having fun and everything is going well and, and it's, it's light and it's warm and there's food being passed around and whatever, right? Um, and, it, and, it, and of course it's all an illusion and there's three brains in a jar like in the ceiling that are creating this illusion. My players went and, and they danced with the, 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 other da- the other people at the ball and they talked to them and they, they – Went off into the and explored the other rooms, and they took the abracadabra box that provides all the food. And uh, at no point in time did they ever figure out the illusion. They're just like, "Well, that's weird," and then they just moved off. <laughs> so, so there's still this this ballroom back there with with a uh, a ball going on. Then they 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 get into this this room where there's a trap door and a secret door on the ceiling, and they figured out how to they, they figured out that was there but they couldn't for the life of them figure out how to open it it's in the ceiling and it takes a, a really high strength check to open and whatever like a couple of them dimension door threw it to the other side um and now and now the, and then so you're on the other side of this trap door but you're standing on the door that everybody else is trying to open and it's just a, sh- a vertical shaft of like 50 feet going up uh and so they're like well I, I, what do we do now there's no latch there's no way to open it you know we thought we'd pop over here and open it from the other side. That's not how that works, right? They just tried and tried and tried, and eventually, I think they they blew through inspiration and you know various uh, blessings or, or guidance and all kinds of stuff to eventually get to the strength they needed to to get it pried open. 
Um, and normally I've, I've been bad about but been trying to get better at like not revealing the things that they didn't discover. But that one was too good because they're like, they're like how, how is somebody supposed to open that? I'm like, oh, well, you'll, all you need to do is knock. Like it's, that's literally all it is to, to open that trap door is you just got to knock on it. But they spent 20 minutes trying every trick and, <laughs> that they could come up with to get enough strength or, or magically get past it or whatever. Um, and so, yeah. And so that was that was the last session. They finally got through the trap door. They got to the top and the top opens up. There's a there's just a, a dome of frost surrounding you. And on the other side of these animated um, black uh, blades that are like tears in reality sort of thing. Um, but they, and they don't realize yet that the Dome of Frost is because there's a wall of force dome there that separates you from it. But that's where I left off. I described that room. You came out, Dome of Frost, big black blades that want to kill you, and we'll deal with that next week. So <laughs> it's a good good start for next time. Right. What what are if you have? So I haven't even. I've I've read I've read it. Mm-hmm. I guess I've read more of Caves of Hunger because I'm I'm getting to the Caves of Hunger. See, so I, I completely really, skipped the Caves of Hunger. Yeah. So I'm I'm gonna I'm running I'm gonna run both. Um, what three tips do you would you offer somebody who is going to run Yethrin based on what's in the book? That's a. I mean, I'm I'm certain there are good tips about when and how to introduce the the Arcane Brotherhood and Oral to the story. Uh-huh. Um, in Yethrin, I, I imagine there's good tips on that, but since I'm not using that, right. I, I don't have practical advice on that. Um, I think. I think my the first thing that comes to my mind is, um, like is oftentimes true, be more free with the lore and the mystery than mm-hmm. you think you need to be. Right? Like that's a good, that's a good tip overall. I mean, I think it is, but but like <laughs> players aren't understanding half of what you're giving them. Exactly. So absolutely. You should always always go into giving too much. Yeah. Absolutely. And 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 when you're in Yithrin, like you're in this ancient flying Nethery city. And that is a part of Forgotten Realms lore that does not play anywhere else in my campaign or really anywhere else in Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. Like the Netherees are not a major theme throughout it. And so um, you can't expect that they've gone through several levels of like learning about Netheril and what these cities were like and, and, and who these people are and, and all of that, what happened to them and all of that. Uh, and so I think I, I, one of the things that they've really enjoyed is, is learning about you know, ancient Netheril and their flying cities and the fall of the Netherese and how this city actually fell before the Netherese. And they, they, they've learned a little bit more about Iriel Larthus, who's the, the Demi-Lich who, who once ruled the city. And, um, and they know, you know, and so there's all that, right? Um, I think the other thing, I don't know. I think what's working well for me as well is, um, I have – there's big touchstone areas where big things can happen in the adventure and there's not much to stop you. Like the obelisk, you know, you can show up to the obelisk. You can activate the obelisk. You can rewrite all of the world. Um, but there's no like challenge to get through to get there, uh, to get to – you know, to, to do the thing, right? Um the same thing with the the Mithalar, which is not actually very far away. Uh, at, at most, a tomb tapper shows up, um, you know. Um, and so I, I'm like I'm having 
when they when they after they get the staff and they go to the obelisk because they know that that's what they need to activate the obelisk, um, and that's what the dragon wants, right? The dragon is basically holding people hostage in order to force them to to go through and get the staff for him, so he can so it can use the the obelisk uh, because I've changed it so that it can be used to kill a god uh, as well, which is what the dark powers want to do. They want to kill the gods and replace them, um, and so. I, that's where I'm going to have the big, big dragon fight. They're going to finally make it to the obelisk with the staff, and then, after having fought Iriel Arthas, and then the dragon shows up. And I think that's a, you know, it's a big climactic moment. Uh, it, it seems strange to have the potential of, hey, now we have a flying city, or hey, spoilers for folks in the chat, I suppose, or hey, we're we're we've reset the entire timeline of the Forgotten Realms. Like that feels like a strange thing to put in an epilogue. Um, you know, yeah, I totally want to do it though. As an epilogue, like, I want that. Yeah, I want that to be the last scene. Oh, I don't mind it being the last scene, but I want them to have to like overcome some sort of challenge to do it. Yes, uh, I don't know. I don't know about. Yeah, I, I think I, I want to put a choice in front of them. I don't want them. I, I want them to know that something really big and monumental could mm-hmm. happen. And then surprise them with what it is. I also because I and have then, I have then, players. I have players in my game who are, are big Critical Role fans. Um, so I made it – as I was unveiling all this lore about things and, and even about the obelisk and what it is and what it does, I also made it clear that this and all of the other obelisks are artifacts created by Vecna because that's a name and a character they know even though it's not a Forgotten Realms entity. Um, you know, Powerful magic users, turns out, travel the planes and can do things all over the place, right? Uh, and so that was that was fun as well. They they got to enjoy that. Other than that, I think just really enjoy the weird creepiness of of the the, the locations. Uh, I think they they're done really well, and the whole thing has been super fun. Um, and let them sort of make assumptions about things, even if they're like they did the the what is it the the. The, the weightless wonder, the hall of weightless wonder or whatever it is, where you like float and can meditate and it creates a projected image of you that you can like run around the city and do whatever you want as this projected image while your body meditates and floats around. Um, they, one of the characters that, who's a tiefling uh, and, you know, part of her story is that she used to run around and, and capture or re- recover souls for, for Dispater, right? And so she's all about, like, souls and that kind of stuff. So when they, like, all of their bodies, when they all went, everybody else in the party went and meditated except for her, and the, all of their their projected images appeared, and their consciousness was in the projected image, she's like, oh, crap, this thing just separated your soul from the body. Like, go back now. We're not doing, like, and I'm like, well, that's not what this is. And I could probably, like, have somebody make an arcana check and figure that out. But no, like let them own that, that this is a weird and it's a creepy place and, and souls being separated from bodies totally feels like the, the exact kind of horror that you should be creating for yourself that I don't even have to make up, right? Um, and that came off really well, you know? The, 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 necro, the Tower of Necromancy with the, like 200 crawling claws running around is a weird, creepy scene that you can do all kinds of strange things with. Um, you know, it... Uh, and, and like I said, very little of the things, uh, you know, there's a handful, there's some, some Nothics and there's the, the thing that comes up out of the well and yeah. there's, there's the slod 
Um, but until you get to the spire, a, a lot of the encounters don't have to be combat encounters. Like when they encounter the the hags hiding inside the the little pocket dimension in one of the towers, like that ended up being just a a, a role playing encounter. Right. And, and they and I think every single one of them that went in willingly gave up a memory in order to to be allowed out. That was the the price the hags offered, which is weird. I, I was a little surprised that they even bartered with the hags because at this point because because watsi puts hags in everything they've killed like 17 hags now like these hags are not a a threat to them there's there's too many hags i'm I'm probably not dropping them in i'm gonna replace them with something else right well and even a a lot of the hags i changed with cobalt press hag stat blocks or changed them up a little bit so they were less less predictable but there's been a lot of covens of hags these days and they show up in everything and, and they've now they I mean they've killed four hags in Barovia and three hags in the tomb. Um, you know they've had they've met a lot of hags, uh, and they know at this point they've gained multiple levels since they ran in, last ran into a hag. These hags aren't a challenge for them. Um, but still they, they bargain with them. They're like there's we got no problem with them. <laughs> so they want a memory. One of the players happened to have, have been absent, uh, missed uh, the previous session. So when I asked him, well, what memory do you give up? And he's like, well, I give up the memory of everything that happened last session <laughs> since I wasn't <laughs> here anyway. <laughs> like that, very clever, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, one of the players actually wanted to make a trade with him. Um, they had like some potions or whatever, right? And so he, he's like, I, I want I want to give, I'll give you a memory for one of those. I know. I'll give you a memory for one of those potions um, and, and, and a memory to get out. So I'm going to give you two memories. And I'm like, okay, so what memory are you giving up for the potion? There's that memory. And what memory are you giving up to get out now? I give up the memory of making the first deal. So now he thinks he only made one deal and lost one memory, but he actually <laughs> – so this potion just ran, randomly showed up and he doesn't know why because he doesn't remember the deal. Okay, yes, my time is well over. Um, even as we went into Sam's time with it earlier. Uh, I do want to remind people, if you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash the Tome Show uh, and become a supporter there. And I know, we, we all know that that nobody needs to be um, giving more money to Critical Role. They're doing fine. Uh, so come help the little dogs like us, right? Uh, support support folks like us. And, you, you and could go help Critical Role too. You can do both. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> They deserve what they're getting. They, they're, they're, yes, they do very good work. Okay, uh, Mike, um, yeah. there's only five minutes left for you, so go ahead. All right, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll do my normal allocation of time then. Uh, so it's interesting. Sam and I are actually at very similar spots. Uh, one difference is I've been, so I've been running Frostmaiden for two groups now. And one group has gone all the way through and received the codicil of the white, and re- and now they're on the way to the caves of hunger. Uh, on their way back, they found out that the Chardalon dragon had attacked ten towns, and they had to race in there and fight it. So their last, their whole last session was them running to town. They met, um, um, they met Valen Harple and her dire undead dire wolf sleds that could take them to the town very very quickly. Uh, they got there, they faced the Shardalon dragon, they defeated it, and then they faced some some of their allies, or some of their, a bunch of NPC stuff, interesting NPC stuff that happened. But my other group, they took the hint that they should go to Sunblight Fortress and figure out what's going on there. 
they went to Sunblight Fortress. They ended up going through the Underdark, which is not covered in the book, but I did some fun Underdark stuff. Uh, they made their way all the way through Sunblight Fortress. Instead of having the uh, BS idea that as soon as you show, you travel all the way to this place and then you see the dragon fly away and then you got to travel all the way back to town, which I think is lame. I was like, they're going to, the, I said, Zardarok is going to launch it while they're in the Citadel. So I want to pull like the, the Ozymandias thing from the Watchmen where like they show up and he's like, yep. And they're like, well, we're going to stop. He was like, nope, I said it off an hour ago. Right. <laughs> like while you were busy fighting a bunch of my jackasses here, I've already sent it and you can't stop it. It's on the way and it's faster than you are. So um, so they did that. They ended up having a lot of fun in in, in Sunblight Fortress uh, with sort of interpersonal drama between Grandolfa and uh, Dearth Sunblight and Zardarok Sunblight. They ended up setting up an arranged marriage between Dearth Sunblight, Zardarok's son, and Grandolfa, which involved Dearth writing out a note that said, do you like me with two checkboxes, yes and no, and said, could you hand this to Grandolfa for me? And that was a lot of fun. And then they fought Zardarok, and uh, they, you know, that was a hard fight, but they, they persevered. And then it was like, okay, we got to get out of here. And luck, so I lucked out that my, my wife, my, my wife's player said, uh, we need to, your wife's character? my wife's character, yeah. sorry, <laughs> my wife's character said, uh, we need to warn, we know it's launched. Like they, they, before they had reached Zardarok, they said, we know he's already launched the thing. Let's send maybe maybe our ghost Janth. They have the Janth all the ghost of Janth Alwar. Uh, maybe we our ghost can like tap into some ghost network and warn them. And I was like, this is awesome because in my game Janth Alwar is a member of the Arcane Brotherhood. He's who's he going to go to? He's going to go to Valin, which meant Valin shows up and said, "Hey, Janth sent me." Right? And I was like, "Oh, thank you for giving." Like I had no other good way for them to get back to Ten Towns. <laughs> But she did that, and it worked, and it was this perfect tie-in for them to to get on the uh, to get on the sleds and then go racing across the side. I, of course, threw out all of the BS about how long it takes compared to the the, the amount of time it takes a dragon, because all things arbitrary anyway. Like, you know, you have this big dumb triggered event that says the dragon will sit there on top of the tower until the characters decide to go to Sunblight. So already you've totally thrown the timeline idea out, right? There's not, there's not some big calendar that the dragon is going to attack on a certain day. It's like, no, it triggers when the characters get here. So if you're already going to arbitrarily have the dragon launch, having a how fast it flies compared to how fast your sled stuff is, you know, no, it, it is as fast as the story needs to be, and the dragon will get it as far as the dragon should get. And it, so I, I think in both my games, it destroyed... Um, Dugan's hole, it half destroyed Good Mead, uh, and half destroyed um, uh, what's East Haven, uh, and then in one game it, it, it made it all the way to uh, uh to to Caradineval because I had character stuff I wanted to do in Caradineval. So like I just had the dragon get as far, but then the dragon turned out to kind of suck because it's a giant legendary creature that doesn't actually that isn't actually legendary. Mm. So hey, oh. What do you do? Banish it. Boom. It's gone. Right. <laughs> oh, right. So that's lame as hell. So I made it legendary. Right. You can't, so you can't once again, you can't permabanish it. Can you? It's not from another plane. I think so. No, it's not from another plane, but 
have you ever played with people who know how to use banish? Because what they do is they set up, hey, let's put grease on the floor. Let's polymorph our fighter into a mammoth. Let's put a speed potion on the mammoth. Let's cast moonbeam on the spot. And what's already actions and nothing ever survives oh, coming oh. back. From banish. <laughs> so no Shardalon dragon is going to survive coming right. back from banish. Because, it, because it's a solo creature and it doesn't have right. other things around. But yeah. it's not a solo creature, right? It's, right. it's a big dumb single creature so much like everything else in this adventure i rewrote it and <laughs> you know did a did a make it legendary so i guess legendary clock attacks is legendary resistance and and um i've now run that shardalon dragon twice and that worked pretty well both times like it was really hard it nearly killed the uh characters in my sunday game um and it was a good threat for the characters in my wednesday game and both groups were level seven when they faced it so they both felt like it was a suitable threat. I still feel like it, it looks like it's the size of a house. How is it only 140 hit points, right? But whatever. So Be level uh, seven when you face it. What's that? You're not supposed to be level seven when you face it, right? Well, chapters three and four, supposed you're supposed to be, to be like fourth <laughs> level, right? Yeah, so. I, well, so, oh God, don't even get me started with like the... You know, I think we argued about this. Like, here's the flow chart. You know, I'm like, just saying like none of my groups actually follow that flow chart. I, I'm just saying, I mean, my group didn't either. Right. But I'm just <laughs> saying, like, so when the, when people are writing a published adventure, they're giving guidelines for the level that they expect the party to be when right. they're encountering yeah. these things. So, of course, you had to beef it up for characters that were you know almost. What, you know what you could do for level fourth they, level characters? Don't before. have a Shardalon dragon that's the size of a house. Well, the point of the like, dragon isn't really for I it don't know. to fight God. and defeat it, though. The point of the dragon is to create a situation where it can destroy ten towns. Because remember how it's written; it's supposed to leave when they do thirty points of damage on it. I mean, yeah, it's that, that you know, so yeah. it's that's that's what's supposed to allow it to then go right. destroy other towns, and then they're chasing it, right? So it's meant to be this huge, like, big deal chase scene with fighting, and yeah, I mean, it was cool in my game. They had a lot it, of fun. It, it ended games. up being cool in mine. I just had to, I had to rewrite it. Right. right, but I'm just saying, I I did it basically as written, and it was still cool. So, yeah. You know. So yeah. yeah. Anyway, I, I, so and I can see there's a certain cinematic appeal to like fighting it on the run and i can see i can i can picture that movie scene yeah right i guess it, my, my problem is look at the art right that art and the stat block do not match up right that's my that's my <laughs> problem right so anyway now i've run the shardalon dragon both now i've got experience having actually run the shardalon dragon both times for, for two different groups and my wednesday group so my Wednesday group is now on the way to um, Grimskull. They they actually just arrived at uh, the Dark Duchess. They fought. I, I put two ice trolls there instead of one because they're pretty powerful. So I threw a couple of ice trolls. They dealt with the ice trolls. They they went to the, the, the kobolds that are locked up in the hold, and they're like, hey, we can rescue you. And the kobolds are like, are you crazy? Like, maybe if we're nice, we'll rescue you. And they're like, what are you talking about? And then Avantaris shows up and lands on the thing. And they're like, oh, my God. They're like, is that an ancient white dragon? I'm like, yes, it is. You know, I'm like, oh, right. And you're not going to just gimp this guy like you did the Chardalon dragon. Like, this is really an adult dragon. So that's the start for my next game. The cool bit is I've already run all of the Island of Solstice, which I didn't know was called the Island of Solstice until after I'd finished running it. But now I remember. And so now the new group can get the proper name. And I, you know, again, if you look at the map and, and you know, uh, um, Sam, you might have more thoughts about this, but I thought that the map of Solstice was very uninspired. Like, hey, here's 36 shipwrecks that are all in a big circle. Yeah, but we don't want to do that. We're just going to the 
Citadel. We're going to walk up that road, go to the Citadel, get the thing to get the hell out. So there's like, there's hardly any like interesting things to do on the island itself. So I developed a pretty robust point crawl uh, for, for the island itself with frost giant tombs and weird effigies to other gods and a, a lot of like one of the things I want to do about Solstice was say this whole island is a test for frost druids, right? This whole place is like frost druids come here. It's their Mecca, right? They come here to become one. And the island is going to beat the hell out of you to make sure that you are stripped of everything. You're either going to die and most of them do or you're going to be a true devout of oral by the time you're done with this place so like one of the things that i have which is really cool is like there's a hot bath there there's a section of rock where there's um what are they called not geysers but like you know like hot, hot springs, springs right hot springs mm-hmm. so there's these hot springs and like it, you know it, it, the way it's kind of put there is like well before you become a true dev- devotee of oral this is your last chance to like really feel warmth right and if you go in there, it charms you and you stay in there and boil to death. Right. And I was like, that's such like a fun, mm-hmm. you know, like and, and they discover because they go there and there's all these discarded clothes. And then you look at the bottom of the of the pool and it's all bones. Right. right? And it's like, you know, if you if you succumb to the to the warmth here, you are not a devout devotee of oral. So I put a lot of like fun little events like that on the way that is in a point crawl. So they make choices about where they want to go. Are you the, they, are, are you yeah. where I saw on Twitter recently, uh, like a template for point crawls? Yeah. So yeah. I was trying to do like the, the world's simplest point crawl. Like what does a point crawl look like when you try to distill it down to its smallest pieces? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, so to anybody that doesn't know what point crawl, a point crawl is a way of handling overland travel where you have a bunch of different locations and a bunch of in world paths that connect those locations. And it basically gives uh, characters multiple choices about where they can go to visit. They know where they're going. They can find it's, it's essentially like building overland travel. Like it's a dungeon. And only instead of rooms and hallways, you have locations and, and paths, right? It's what so Watsi like should eight. be doing, should be doing with their flow charts instead of straight lines. You think? <laughs> uh, how about how about just give us yes. a, a page back anyway? Yeah. So right. uh, you know. So Mike, Mike, to answer your question, I kind of did a similar thing, but there's stuff on that island. It's just that yeah. they repeat it, right? So yeah. like, there's the place where there's like the frozen statues, and then there's like the basically the sh- the sheet wall of ice, and there's yeah. stuff in the middle of it, and then there's like there's but the you can avoid all of it, and then there's Naslantamir, right? And then there, and so like what I did was I didn't make like 20 million shipwrecks around. I actually did more of like a point crawl, like what you're talking about. And I, but I, but what happened was, remember I said that I had my, my party all had like these weird dreams, like these prophetic dreams when they got to the Island of Solstice, everything that they encountered had some kind of piece of that dream in it, right? So if they chose to go to the place where there were all those statues, one of them saw those statues in their dream, except something's different about them, right? If they went to the place with the wall, they saw the wall in their dream, but it's a little bit different. If they found Nas Lantimir, they which they didn't, but if they had, they that was actually part of, you know, it's a connection. So I did a similar thing, but I made it connected back to what they had learned, you know, three days previous. Right. And it's like, you know, yeah, so they have two locations. They have, they have like, they've labeled, I think, five locations, even though it's labeled all over the map, right? And two of them, 15, five and six, are like the, the, the druidic standing stones and then the icy statues. And neither of them are on the way to Grimskull. So you could completely miss them if you actually just walk up the path. So my thought was like, hey, it's okay to miss them. 
but there should be interesting, there should be different paths that you could take and interesting ways to do it and meaningful choices about how the characters actually go from the docks to Grimskull that show off this island. Right. So anyway, the cool bit is I already, I've already run that for my Sunday group and that worked really well. So I, now I'm going to run it for my Wednesday group and, and I, I hope it will work as well. The other thing, so most of everything else is the same, but I, I did keep the trials, I, I did keep the tests in, but I'm not running them at all like they're in the book. And instead I came up with something that I did with my Sunday game. It worked really, really well, which was, very similar to Jeff to what you did in Yethrin before well before this happened I kind of I, I, I emailed each player and said like what do you think is a really hard choice that your character is worried about facing either something they have faced or something they will face like what are the worries that you've got and in some cases I talked to them on the phone in other cases like they emailed me so, some stuff in other cases I didn't get anything back but I already knew enough of their backstory that I had the, the I had the hooks and my, my thought was I basically wanted to take three components and improvise the test on the spot. And the, the three components are there's four kinds of tests. There's like perseverance, cruelty, isolation, and something else. I don't remember what they are. But there's like four words that, te- that make each test, right? And then I had these backgrounds for each of the characters on, on what was going on. And then the overall goal is Oral is trying to determine if you are truly devout to Oral, which means you have to give yourself up. You have to be willing to give up everything. And so if you look at the characters, you can say, like, what would this character be forced to give up that would make them an a, a, a devout of Oral, right? And then they will be thrown into that situation. And then, I, and then I twist the situation slightly to fit the theme of whatever that word was, isolation, preservation, cruelty, or, or, or whatever. And boy, the stuff that my Sunday group had to do was brutal. Like one of them has been like spending all of his time trying to protect his parents from the Xanathar. He, you know, him and his parents fled to Icewind Dale to get away from Waterdeep to avoid the Xanathar and Xanatharian assassins were after them. And they actually turned the tables and killed the assassins. But then his test was he's in the Xanathar's lair and the Xanathar says, I can help you be what you truly are and points to the codicil of the white. But in order to do that, you have to tell me which one of your parents I have to kill. Right. And right. he's like, mom. And it changed. You know, so here's the funny thing. No mechanics at all. Right. right. No, there's no penalty. There's no skill check. They just had to make these choices. And the interesting bit was they their characters have permanently changed based on the choices uh-huh. they made, even though the Xanathar didn't really kill his mom. So like, he's going to see his parents again. And I'm like, what's that going to be like? And he's like, I don't know. Right. And like, so, you know, one of the characters uh, just figured out that, that her half brother, who's one of the other characters brought her back into the clan of Goliaths. And now she has a real family. She's her other family's just completely poisonous, toxic group. And she got away from them. It got to, and then her choice was, you have to let your own family, your new family freeze to death in order to, you know, embrace the boss maiden. Was it, I don't know, too on the nose or predictable that you like asked them for this information one week and then I, used it that no, next session. Uh, it wasn't this, it, it, it was weeks earlier, okay. right? I did it. I did it weeks earlier and they didn't know what, the situation was the other tricky bit is only four of them had to do the tests and like one of the one of the characters wasn't even there so even though i had sort of prepped here are the different scenes that they might hit i wasn't sure which one of the characters was going to pick which test and i had to kind of shell game it to make it look like i had i knew which one of them was going to pick which test and the theme of it fit and really i'm just improvising Right. Really. Sure. It was sort of like the um, like drawing the cards in Ravenloft. Right. right. I'm going to I'm going to change the scene based on 
who picked what thing. Right, right, right. So I'm going to do the same thing again for my, my, my Wednesday group hasn't gotten there yet. But when they do, you know, I still have all of these interesting bits of backstory. I've asked them already. Now I've asked them months ahead, right? And I, I, I have, you know, part of my prep will be what are the tests going to be for them? But this idea of just really using the tests as a way to just, you know, they, if they hand you a knife, right, to really stick those knives in and basically right. say like oral, oral is testing you to determine if you're devout. Right. That's what, and they know, like, we have to say yes. Right. Like we actually aren't devout to oral, but this is what the test is. Right. And if we're going to get that door open and get the codicil, we're going to do it. Uh, now Sam is going to yell at me at this. So prepare yourself. But in my version, I also had one of the forms of oral guarding the codicil. I had the crystal form and it turns out that having the form that requires flight and has nothing but ranged attack stuck in a small room with a bunch of melee characters oh. is a really bad way to run oral. I would argue anyway that much like the rest of the adventure, I've had to rewrite that too. Um, because it, even if you run that one correctly, it's boring as hell. It's so like, yeah, I, I, disadvantage I, I, all the time. It's a terrible design. I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna complain. So I'm really hard on my PCs, right? So they're not going to have a way to get out of their, you know, their exhaustion and they're going to have disadvantage. They're going to have all these things, but yeah, the map actually for Oral's house for Grimskull is really boring considering what they could do with it. Right. right. So yeah, I mean, I mean that's, it's that's why I, I'm just going to let them well, sneak and leave. Right? So, it, oh, this is there's yeah. so many like, hey, it's really cool that the map look. Both maps look like giant snowflakes. Guess what? Guess who's never going to find that out? The people that are standing on it, right? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, anyway, so it it did give me a tr a chance to try out one of the aspects of Oral and see how it played out and realize, mm -hmm. okay, there's things I can have to do for this one, um, but. You know, so so I, I I the good thing is I'm already well prepped for my run of Grimskull. I did it. I, I spent a fair bit of work getting it ready for my Sunday group. It worked well, so now I can kind of do that same thing for my Wednesday right. group. But I really liked it. Kind of it was a pif an epiphany to me to turn the tests into ways to really just dive both my hands into the backstories of the characters and really drudge up interesting stuff, just like you were doing with the uh, with the the secrets. Uh, and yeah, the, all that right. What was it? The the invisible stalkers, right? Not invisible stalkers. The the it? phantasmal killer. Phantasmal killers. Yeah, same thing, right? And uh, and I really like that solution better. Like I I I think you know that that kind of just making it a purely purely backstory thing. It had a lot of impact. Completely changed the characters. You know, they've they've known things. In fact, one of them actually was able to inject something into Oral through the vision that she had. And it's going to last because right? she's like a chosen of an elder evil. She mentioned certain elder, elder evil. And yeah. my players have loved that kind of stuff so much. And it, yeah. we've and we've been doing it since water. It's just yeah, but, and so yet, much. And, it's, and yet we and I don't do it all the time because like even this time. Uh, what, you know, because the whole secret thing to do the right to get through the force field uh, in, the, yeah, in Yithrin, right. uh, a lot of them were struggling because it's like, I don't know, at this point we've been playing together for two years yeah, plus, we, we, like, we all know I think we, we've revealed all of our secrets, like, we're set right. a few sessions away from right. finishing the campaign, like, what more do, should we reveal? Yeah. So, and yet there were yeah, things so, to reveal. So, yeah, so, you know. Anyway, at that point, then I'm I'm heading straight into Caves of Hunger and Yethrin and, and, and closing in on the end of the campaign. I will say that, like, my struggling with the adventure has been was has lessened since leaving chapter one. 
chapter one was the most problematic of the chapters that I that I had. And then I kind of ripped through two. I ripped through three and four because in one case, we're not even doing Sunblade Citadel, right? Like they just skipped it completely. The dragon showed up and they had to fight it. Uh, and they killed Zard- Zardark was riding on the dragon. So they killed Zardark there, um, which is fine because it's like, you know, I, I've run it. They don't really care. I'm ready to move on to, to other things. The whole thing with Grandolfa and all the drama of, of the, the Duergar drama. It's fun. One, but, of the, you know. one of the things that happened because of the way I ran the adventure uh, or ran Yithrin is that because I didn't do the Caves of Hunger, I kind of thought right. about it, as, you know, on their way into the city or whatever. Then I decided, no, the dragon just bored a giant hole straight there. We'll just skip all that stuff, right? There's side sure. passages if they want to explore, but they didn't. But then they get yeah. into the city and in the, in the uh, I think, uh, lovely named Bazaar of the Bazaar. Um, because that's an old <laughs> Dragon Magazine article that I used to love. Yeah, um, right. There is a headless iron golem, like just smashing its way yeah, around right, through there, right? Right. And the head is somewhere else. Yeah. Right. Well, the head is in the caves of the caverns yeah, the of, caves hunger. of hunger. And yeah. so, like, my now one of my players is like, everywhere he goes, like, okay, but is there an iron head there? Is there an iron head here? Right. Is the, I look around, can I find an, the iron head? Like, he's looking for it everywhere because he's like, it's got to be here somewhere where we can fix right. that golem. And deep uh, in the back of the head, they're like, we're going to have an iron golem on our side. Right. <laughs> well, like, no, you're not. <laughs> right. And, and, and yet now, the, but then there's still a part of me that's like, well, now I kind of feel like I got to stick that header in, in there yeah, somewhere. The head somewhere. Sure. But I don't know where it would be fun to put it. <laughs> so we'll see. Wherever. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, whatever it seems right. Keep it no, in your back pocket. You know Whatever what? it seems right. They, keep vi- the they visited every location in the city now uh, and they're yeah. exploring the spire, except they never went to the chain lightning arena. So that's gonna that, that's the trophy. If you win chain lightning, the head, you is, get, you get the the head, head. is sitting there just getting hit by lightning going, ow, yeah. ow, <laughs> ow. It's, it's the only audience member in the stands watching. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, I'm 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 enjoying the game. I have to do too much work. Uh, that you know, I'm I feel like I have to rewrite so much. But my my players are having a good time. My I'm having a good time. You know, in the end, it's it's all it's all solid. And I'm looking forward. I got lots of I got lots of really interesting ideas for Yethrin that I want to do. So I'm I'm looking forward to. Going I, in. I've I've been very pleased with Yethrin. Uh, having not had a lot of interest in rhyme generally um and then deciding at the last minute to throw yithrin in as a location um it's been actually a lot of fun and and we've been enjoying it a lot um so right. so all right that's well uh i think that's the end of your time 25 minutes <laughs> in. <laughs> don't think, even start oh man. no no i think all of us I think <laughs> if you include if you include my questions about random encounters with sam's time i think we we each went about half an hour each so <laughs> Uh, so that is where we're gonna gonna wrap up. This is the end of behind the DM screen for today. If you want to find me on the internet, I am available on Twitter at squach, and the show is at the Tome Show. Mike, where can people find you? Lifeflourish.com. Go to that website. You can get to all my stuff there. And he's bitter about Twitter, so don't find him on Twitter. Sam, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at rpgmusings.com or on Twitter at DM Samuel. I am not mad at Twitter, like. Mike is. I just I, don't spend very much time over there because, well, you know, bitter. work, life, whatever. You and I are in the same boat there. Yeah. All right. Then that is the end of this episode. Uh, so good times. I don't know how I end. Say, say goodbye, guys. I know that's how, that's the last thing. Goodbye. Bye, guys. <laughs>